Tuutohunga are crouching near a hapu woman and chanting an old oriori. They are heralding the arrival of a male child whose spirit will be captured to create a god of war. An unnatural shadow ascends slowly up the walls of an old-style whare with a low ceiling, the type you have to move around in on your hands and knees. The shadow is one that has been summoned by the tohunga as a guardian against other would-be hijackers with nefarious purposes, like themselves. The whare itself has been fashioned for the birth of this child, a special child, born on the night named after the god of death, whose name is Tsutaputa'ata. The doorway into the little whare has a black carved pare with a monstrous central figure, a fitting description of the shadow inside the whare that stands like a sentry in a tūwatawata. There's a fire raging in the centre of the whare, with black smoke escaping through a small hole in the ceiling. It rages and subsides like an accelerant is being poured intermittently. The tohunga, sensing that the moment is near, switch to a prepared karakia and their voices begin to change. The words rewind as the tohunga utter the words of the karakia backwards, a technique tohunga used to blur the realities between te ao marama and te ao wairua. The woman is unaware that anything is out of order, but is concerned that her sister is nowhere in sight. She is naked and lying on her back with her legs open wide in anticipation that the arrival of her baby is imminent. She inhales deeply and pushes hard, so hard that her waters break as she bears down, covering the whariki under her in fluid. She looks down and knows that all is not well. The woman doesn't scream as she is too well-bred to show weakness of any kind, and instead she breathes in again focuses and pushes even harder. Every muscle in her body squeezes and her veins almost pop out of her throat as she groans deeply. A crowning, a thick tuft of baby's hair shines through. She pants quickly as the tohunga look at each other with glee. Hair, a good sign of virility. The mother prepares for one final push when the bulge of her puku begins to pulse like the baby inside is punching and kicking. The tohunga see this and panic. What they don't see is an imprint of the face of a baby pressing against the upper part of the puku that only the mother can see. But how can this be? Baby is already crowning and in position. The eyes of the tohunga have begun to bulge in anticipation. Their karakia is now more frenzied and sounds like they are uttering a horrible curse. The tohunga pulls the baby to his arms as the mother screams and passes out. 
They watch the baby carefully for a moment. Its chest does not rise. It does not inhale. It is stillborn. Atahe. Exactly what the tohunga were hoping for. They whisk the baby out into the moonlight to an altar not far from the little whare. They are carrying torches, emanating fire that illuminates a craggy pathway to the altar. On the altar rests an old wooden karetao that is more human in nature rather than the abstract form of a popo. It has a finely carved mataora on the tiny face, moving arms and long flowing black hair that matches one of the tohunga. Beside the karetao is a huge wakahuya adorned with pointy angular markings rather than the standard curvilinear styles. The markings are an ancient carved language and act as a powerful binding incantation, powerful enough to incarcerate a god of war. They need to capture the spirit at the precise moment, a second too early or too late, and everything will have been for naught. The tohunga with the obsidian blade hacks at the tuft of hair and plaits the hair with speed into the hair of the karetao. The other tohunga prepares his mereponamu. He waits for the moment. The glow of the moon surges, somehow connected to the wairua of the tahe, and the lid of the wakahuya starts to jump around by itself. The tahe is placed into the wakahuya, and the lid moves by itself again, sealing it inside. The shadow guardian begins to leap about in a frenzied celebration. The tohunga look at the karetao. Its head begins to turn slowly towards them. The tohunga chants. Back in the whare, the young woman regains consciousness. She is bleary and fatigued with blood loss and pain. She has accepted that her fate has already been decided, when suddenly her body is gripped with the pain of another contraction. She is wounded and in danger of losing consciousness, but spells have been cast this evening and some of that magic rejuvenates her. She bears down and with an almighty push, her second baby is born. He squirms on the whariki and blinks tiredly in the firelight. Her mahanga, a twin, an identical twin. Knowing that her baby is in danger, she musters up the last of her energy, bundles her baby into her kākahu and crawls outside. She finds her sister, who's been left for dead on the side of the whare. Knowing she has no time to pause and grieve, she pulls the maripi from her sister's hand. She feels faint. Her vision is blurry, but she forces herself to stand, knowing that her final desperate act may be the only chance her baby has at survival. 
She stumbles towards the ocean, not far from the ferry. Once at the shoreline, she takes the maripi and cuts her long tiki-tiki, which she shapes to form a makeshift waka for her baby. She feels her strength waning, but she makes a plea. She looks out at the little island, not too far offshore, and holding her baby on her chest, she lies on her back in the water and lets the waves of the ocean take her. Her body, with its precious cargo, is quickly carried out to sea. A panifa, a crab, who has been observing them, hears the mother's words and takes pity on the baby. The crab heads towards the mother, who has lost consciousness and is slowly sinking beneath the waves. He calls to his brothers. Hundreds of crabs of all sizes converge on the mother and baby from all directions and link claws to form a buoy under the baby. The weight of the mother has begun to pull the baby under the water. The pāpaka continue to swim upwards to stop the baby from drowning. As the mother sinks beneath the waves of the ocean, her last image of the world is filled with hundreds of swimming crabs. She sends a final karakia to her baby, then lets the ocean pull her to her rest. The waves are big, too big, and even with the help of the crabs, the baby will soon perish in the ocean. The crab calls out to Tangaroa. Tangaroa, The ocean calms immediately and the waves flatten. Seaweed shoots from the depths and covers the baby like a blanket. A rip forms in the ocean that pulls the baby to the tiny island and onto the shore. Once safely ashore, the crabs chitter to each other and protectively climb around and over the baby. The leader stares at the baby and ponders the circumstances that would see a baby and its mother cast out on the ocean. Normally, he would not bother with the children of Tāne, but this child is interesting. The baby blinks, then looks straight into the little eyes of the crab. The baby yawns and stretches and then continues to stare at the crab, almost expectantly. The baby snuffles, coos, and then sneezes. One, two, three times. The crab had not anticipated this moment. A stirring, a connection. Aroha. The pāpaka decides in that moment to take the baby under its claw. The baby does not cry. He yawns, nestles into the seaweed and falls to sleep. All the pāpaka stand guard over the baby until morning, where an old kroa, the only occupant of the island, has come down to fish up some breakfast. He discovers the baby amongst the seaweed and surrounded by pāpaka. Although barely a day old, be it 
the magic of the tohunga, the tanifa, or the voyage across the sea. The baby has accelerated abilities. The baby cups his hands and holds them out like they are two pincers. The crab looks on, understanding that he and his child are intrinsically linked. He speaks to the boy in the reo of Pāpaka. The baby looks as if he understands the language. The crowa reaches down and picks up the baby. All of the pāpaka click their pincers. It almost sounds like clapping. The crowa understands that this is no ordinary child. Many years pass and the boy, Te Pāpaka, is now a fine young man. He has never left the island of Motuhuna. He and the Koroa are the only inhabitants on the tiny island, and that's just the way that Te Pāpaka likes it. There's nothing to distract him from the one true love in his life, Fafai. Being isolated from the rest of the world, he is unaware that being trained by his Whāngai father, a giant pāpaka, is not normal. The crab calls out. Reo pāpaka is the first language of the child. <clears throat> Are you ready, boy? It's the pāpaka, actually. I am a pāpaka. You are a boy. Are you ready? Boy. Te Pāpaka closes his eyes and sniffs the ocean breeze. He takes in the sounds around him, the ebb and flow of the waves, the seagulls overhead, the tiny crabs sparring by the waves, and crab preparing to strike. Okay, boy. Let's see if you can keep up. The Pāpaka goes into a low Turifatia stance and moves swiftly from side to side, dodging the crab's strikes. His feet are barely touching the ground and the movement is more like a blur. The Pāpaka hops from side to side as the crab attacks his feet. The Pāpaka is long gone before crab's pincers arrive. Although the crab is small, the pāpaka knows that a bite from the tanifa and he'll be hobbling for a week. Crab launches at the pāpaka's face. The pāpaka bobs and weaves as crab launches attack after attack. Would you like me to slow down a little? <laughs> Not bad, boy. But playtime is over. The crab transforms into its giant form. It grows until it's six feet tall. Its pincers could now chop tree trunks. The Pāpaka pulls out two patu parawa that were concealed in the back of his tatua. He holds one patu in each hand, drops his stance real low and holds his patu like crab claws. I'm ready when you are. The crab slashes at Te Pāpaka, who parries. The crab attacks with a triple slash at Te Pāpaka. He ducks the first and parries the second with his patsu, but the third slash catches one of his patsu. 
Pepe Papaka does a 360 degree side flip and yells out Sending the crab onto his back, which releases the grip on Te Papaka's patsu. Crab is momentarily stunned by the move. He thrusts his gigantic claws upside down and into the sand and swivels his body 180 degrees so that he's right side up again. Not bad, boy. Compliments to your teacher. Now, I've been saving this one up until you were cocky enough to handle it. Defend yourself, if you can. Crab <laughs> unleashes a lightning fast set of strikes. The barbucker uses his double patsu to slash and parry the strikes. He jumps onto Crab's back and gives one of his tiny eyes a cheeky slap. Crab does a shimmy that tosses Te Pāpaka off his back. Te Pāpaka is invigorated by the spirited battle. He drops his stance so low that his butt is touching the sand. His body begins to shake and something unexpected happens that has not happened before. He is unaware that the ocean is reacting to his patu movements. Water behind him has risen up like a tsunami. Crab is frozen at the sight. Is with you? How are you doing this? Crab's words break Te Pāpaka's concentration and the 20-metre wall of water crashes to the sand, sending both Te Pāpaka and Crab for a little swim. Te Pāpaka looks at his patsu, unsure of what has just transpired. Before he can respond to Crab's question, he is hit by another eerie sensation. His koroa. When Te Pāpaka reaches his whare, he finds his koroa has collapsed. He helps his koroa to his whāriki. E koro, tahu pāpaka, haere ki te marakumara, ki te rākau atsua. Kei raro i te rākau he whāriki. Haria mai, kia, <coughs> kia tere. Te pāpaka does as instructed. He hands the whāriki to his koroa, who pulls out a long tiki-tiki. I roto koe te nui tiki-tiki, nā tō whae opea. And with that last revelation, the koroa dies. Te pāpaka mourns deeply for his koroa. He proceeds to prepare his koroa and the funeral rites he has been taught. He sets the koroa into the fetal position of birth, the knees pulled to the chest. He anoints the body with pepenu kākaramea and dresses the hair over and under, denoting the koroa's rank in life as a tohunga in the ways of water. He adorns the hair with heru and huia, he cloaks his koroa in his finest, and finally, he carries the body to a cave in the cliff face where he sits the koroa upright on a ledge to rest next to the bodies of his ancestors. Te Pāpaka recites the final karakia over his koroa to help ease the journey to Rarohenga. Through it all, hundreds of crabs have come to observe the mourning of Te Pāpaka for his koroa. Sensing his grief, they have come to let Te Pāpaka know 
that he's not alone. Knowing that this part of his life is over, he prepares to leave. Just before he goes, Te Pāpaka plaits the hair of the tikitiki into the fito of his patsuparawa. Te Pāpaka leaps onto Crab, who has changed to his giant form. Crab carries Te Pāpaka across the ocean into the mainland. Te Pāpaka looks back, knowing that he may never see his home again. When they reach the shore, the crab transforms back to his normal size and jumps into Te Pāpaka's kawe. There, on the mainland, the first person Te Pāpaka finds is an old kuia whose eyes have been burnt out. Eh, uh, kui. Go away, tēra. Whakatata mai ki au. Oh, ko te pāpaka tēnei. Ia hatia. Nā wai o whatu i tahu. The kuia shakes her head, unwilling to share the truth. Hey, aha. Hey, aha. Whākina mai. Nā tōhunga. Nā raua te kino nei. I haria e raua. He kūkuni ki te tūāhu. Kāre i hoki mai. He hānō. He kōrero anō au. He māhanga. He māhanga. I tapahia e te kōkato nga tikitiki hei tākai i te kōnga hungahu. Te pāpaka pulls out his patu and runs his fingers through the hair on the fito. The kuia grabs te pāpaka's hands and the fito of the patu as if she can see. She feels the hair on the patu and reels backwards, her sightless eyes wide in awe. Ko koe? Ko koe? Kei hea te kukuni. Kei hea taku mahanga. Kei hea! The kuia pulls out a black rock and slashes her wrist. As the life flows out of the kuia, she utters one last kōrero. To be continued. Pakikehua, he mea tuku, nā te wānanga o Aotearoa, a nā te māngai pāho i tautoko. Pakikehua, brought to you by te wānanga o Aotearoa, with funding from te māngai pāho. <laughs>